0: Welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your podcast host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Pankaj Jain of Flame University on a brand new Springer publication, Modern Jainism: An Historical Approach. Welcome back to the podcast, Pankaj. Thank you, Raj. Good to
1: be back with you discussing my latest book. Yes.
0: Yes, we've been uh, we've been talking about Jainism on the podcast a little more recently, and hopefully I'll perhaps create a resource where folks can find all the Jainism podcasts, including this one, of course. So a new book on Jainism, indeed modern Jainism. Tell us about the impetus, the inspiration, sort of the objective behind the project.
1: Yes, uh, started uh, about three, four years back. My father visited, who just passed away last month, unfortunately, but my father, when he visited last month in Dallas, where I used to live back then, uh, he started talking about some influential saints influential acharyas in jainism both the jainism has two major sects digambar and shvetambara digambar sect monks do not wear anything they practice complete nudity uh, and shvetambara monks and nuns wear white white garments white clothes white robes so he's he started sharing some names and in uh, and i looked uh, american Euro-American literature, academic literature, to see if those names are mentioned in those uh, major uh, books on Jainism published by you know renowned authors such as Walden Das and John Cote and Chris Chapel and so on, and uh, Peter Flugel and so on. But I didn't find any reference to many of the influential figures that really created some significant pro- uh, academic products and academic and, uh, and communities across India in the last 200 years especially. So I started thinking of this book. And then I look for, uh, these two phrases to these two words together, such as modern Hinduism, modern Buddhism, or modern Christianity or modern Jainism. Almost all all religions, you find many books with these two words together, modern Hinduism, you'll find some books, modern Buddhism, you'll find some books, but modern Jainism, not a single book. So I thought it would be a good, hopefully good potential contribution in the field of Jain studies if I Start working on this uh, biographies of modern Jain scenes with some background of modern uh, of Jain philosophy as well. So that's how it started.
0: Yeah, certainly there's a niche, uh, and Jainism is a relatively little known religion outside of obviously the, those of us who study religion, particularly Indian religions, were were well well acquainted with Jainism, um, but it's probably not as well known. Um, uh, in the in in the in the public imaginary particularly in the west and so it's great to be able to cover it before we dive into the the features of the particular book, say maybe just a word or two 30,000 foot view for those who may be less familiar with Jainism as a religion
1: you oh, oh that's very difficult to summarize but I'll try uh <laughs> um, <Jainism Sound> <laughs> comes the word, from the word jain jain which means honors of jinas jinas comes from the root word jin Jin means those who are conquerors. So non-violent conquerors. What can you conquer non-violently? You can only conquer it yourself. Right? Your own passions, your raks and vishas, vikaras, which Jainism calls it kashayas. So those who have conquered their kashayas are the jinnas. Jinas are the liberated beings. Right? So jains are all the people who who follow, who try to practice the teachings given by Jinas by their own demonstration of their own lives. Now Jainism as a tradition started uh, not with Mahavir. Mahavir was a contemporary of the Buddha. Buddha is pretty well known, so we don't have to describe our Buddha, but Mahavir is not that well known. Mahavir was contemporary of the Buddha, but Jain stayed a little bit precursor to the Buddha. And his teachings, his practices somewhat matched, were similar to what the Buddha preached and and practiced. But Jainism as a tradition goes even Long, long back, much before the before Mahavir or the Buddha. In fact, Mahavir is the twenty-fourth Tirthankar, that is Ford Maker is the translation done by Paul Dundas in UK. But James like the translation, they call they prefer to use the original word, which is Tirthankar, one who creates Tirthas. Tirth is a bridge that enables practitioners to cross this physical world into spiritual realm, right? The final abode where the, the liberated souls can live forever so so there have been 24 tirthankars in each time cycle first tirthankar was rishab is mentioned in the rigveda also rishab a word and uh, some of the images that are found in indus valley civilization excavation uh, match uh, some of the features of the 23rd tirthankar uh, Parsnath another and even rishab actually so some Jainists like to think like to connect Jainism with indus valley civilization also that maybe People of interest value were practicing Jainism, so. But all I, if I summarize, it's it's a an really ancient, pre-prehistoric, mythologized, historicized, you know, depending on whom you ask, goes really, really thousands and thousands of years even before the Buddha. But the historical evidence that we have, speaking now from as an academician, historical evidence that we have uh, is uh, we have twenty evidence for 2030, That is. And of course, for Mahavir, we have a historical archaeological evidences, but not before that. So, before Parshna, there are 22 more major teachers or Jains like to call Tirthankars that we have no evidence about. But the latest film, Baubali, which created a box office uh, history across the world, that was taken from the first Tirthankar of Jainism. story is of the two sons of the first Tirthankar who are bitter enemies. But after extreme violence, they turn into completely. They turn to complete non-violence, and they become They become liberated. So it has become now popular culture. Also, this the tale, the history has also entered popular culture with the special, with especially with these films, the sequel of Baobali one and the sequel Baobali two. All right, I can go on and on, but I'll wait the next
0: question. No, it's great that you present both the the, the the Emic and the edic, both both the history from within tradition. And the history from without, or the scholarly uh, perspective, and of course, all mm-hmm. religious traditions will have a narrative from within tradition, and then there'll be a narrative that that we that avails itself through, you know, archival uh, record, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, so that's great. So, it it's fair to say, perhaps, or would you agree that Jainism, and in its um, in its genesis, is is particularly geared towards um, uh, spiritual purification towards yes. enlightenment. excitement, and one of the hallmarks of Jainism, as with all sort of classical Indic traditions, Buddhism, Upanishadic religion, Jainism, one of the hallmarks is this um, ethical uh, imperative, particularly towards nonviolence, and yet I wonder if you would agree that in Jainism it's taken to a whole new level.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, some people uh, like to use the word extreme, Jainism and extreme Buddhism. <laughs> I like to as with the last name of Jain, I like to use the word ultimate. It's the ultimate of nonviolence, ultimate of, ultimate of renunciation, ultimate of fasting. Everything is to the ultimate level. There is no uh, going beyond the level of practice that Jains do. Most uh, significantly uh, exemplified by even by Mahatma Gandhi, many of his practices were inspired by Jainism. He had a Jain guru when he was in South Africa. He used to correspond with him in Gujarati language they, they were exchanging letters so it had a major influence even on on Mahatma Gandhi and, and through Mahatma Gandhi then these influences spread across the world with Nelson Mandela and Dr. Martin Luther King and you and know and so yes it's a it's an ultimate religion uh, if not you know some people call it extreme but I like to use another
0: another fascinating <laughs> aspect of Jainism from the perspective of comparative religion um mm-hmm. is that in its genesis you know i like to think of sort of uh, Indic traditions uh, as you know th- th- there's this multi-century renouncer revolution sort of in the centuries leading up to to the time of Mahavira and the Buddha and and, and, the, and the and the sort of the crafting or the crystallization of the, of the earliest Upanishads which of course hotly critique Vedic sacrifice and, and really all things worldly and so we have this uh, this this ardent ascetic path Mm-hmm. That over over the the centuries and millennia is now the religion of householders, not dissimilar to Buddhism, which is very much a householder religion. In our terms. Mm-hmm. could you say a little bit about um, that? Is there attention? Is it you know the extent to which Jainism is now a householder religion? Yet in its ideals and in its genesis, it's for the the, the rigorous few who are who are gunning for 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 the ultimate uh, purification.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you say a bit about that. I like your, I like your uh, metaphor of gunning. Gunning is very violent. metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well these are, these are religious extremists, right? <laughs> Non-violent extremists. <laughs> Let's say aiming for my, helping asceticism, not gunning. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm sitting in India also. So I, I like to I uh, <laughs> anyway, you're so aspiring after. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh I think that's a uh, it's a very healthy tussle between being a householder and being an ascetic. Uh, I think much more than Hinduism and Buddhism, the focus in Jainism is very much asceticism. Even those who are householders, or even those who are householders, even my own family, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they just finished fasting for one week, one week of no water, no food, only air, one week of survival. That's the level of ultimate fasting by householders, my own family members. And two weeks, and after the end of two weeks, they had a huge party, of course there's a big party. So the householder, you know, rears his head again, householder uh, emphasis of celebration and so on. But for two weeks, young people, young boys and girls of 18 years of age, 19 years of age, Mumbai, living in Mumbai, two weeks of fasting. Where else do you see this? Miss 24 hours of no water. For eight days, that is still happening as we speak. 21st century kids, people, kids born in 21st century. So when you write 18 years of age, 19 years, so people, kids born in 21st century are doing these things. So and many of the wealthy people, wealthy uh, so sons and daughters of really really wealthy merchants of diamonds and billionaires and so on, they suddenly renounce everything and they become ascetics. And as they become ascetics, as the processions are going on. They are throwing off diamonds and pearls open in the market, open in this on these Mumbai roads, and you know, backheads are jumping to collect gold. But people so people are people are renouncing, Jain people are renouncing their wealth even in the 21st century, because that remains the highest ideal, the ultimate ideal, as I as I like to call it. First, I think asceticism remains very much at the heart of the Jain practice, Jain tradition, um, both in the Gabbar and Shritambar, more so even in you know, even in the Gambar. Even in the, the of sector, I can give you more examples, but I, I guess I'll wait for the next question. I can go on and on, but yeah, and
0: you know, that that's great. That's great. So, tell us about the research process. What was what was it like researching for this book?
1: Yes, researching on the book. So, like, because Hindi is my mother tongue. You know, I was born in India, and uh, you know, spoke Hindi as I grew up for you know first two and a half decades of my life before I migrated to to the US. Uh, So Hindi literature is vastly available on on many of the influential Jain saints, Jain uh, Acharyas and monks and nuns and so on. Uh, So that I collected. Then I also visited each of their cities, wherever these saints lived, wherever they had their ashrams, their centers. I went to uh, Mohan in in, near Indore in Madhya Pradesh. You know, nobody has heard these names. Many of these names are not yet known in in the West. But it's a major center of Acharya Rajendra Suri in Madhya Pradesh, who was born in Rajasthan, but he passed away in, in Mohan Khera, near Indore in, in Madhya Pradesh. So I visited all these places. I went to uh, Songar. Songar is a small town, six hours drive from Ahmedabad in Gujarat, where a major, most one of the most interesting and most, one of the most controversial Jain saints, was Kanji Swami. He was born in Shvetambar sect as a Sthanakvasi. Sthanakvasis are, are those Jains, Shvetambar Jains, who do not go to temples, who don't like to do murti puja, no, no murti worship, no image worshipping, right? So he was born in, in a Shvetambar sect, but as he renounces his household life and he as he becomes a sthanakwasi saint, his robe is entangled in an elephant that is used for the procession. So he, he has these doubts that what I'm doing is not the right thing. So eventually he quote unquote converts into Digambar sect of the Jainism. But he does not renounce the white robe. He sticks to his white robe, which is a, a feature of a Shaitamar side, on the Shaitama sect. But philosophically, he now follows and practices and preaches based on the books written by Thigambar's saint, Thigambar Acharya, born 2000 years back, called Acharya Kun. So he criticizes the other practices, other prevalent practices in Jainism, but he, uh, and he bases his teachings based on Acharya Kundakum, but he himself has a white robe. So a very interesting uh, saint who takes ideas and practices from both Digamban and Shethamr. And his ashram, his center is in Stongar. So I went there, collected more manuscripts, interviewed more people, more of his followers at all these places. Now, of course, Mumbai has many centers of, of many of these saints. Uh, I went to Jaipur, another interesting center uh, of Digamban sect called the Todermal Smarak Trust. So PTST.in, there's a website also, there I interviewed the students. Young kids are now being groomed to become Jain scholars in the Digambar tradition at this center in Jaipur. Then I went to the uh, Delhi Acharya Kun Kun Bharti center in, in Delhi, where Acharya Vidyanan passed away just uh, recently within the last two years. So I collected his material from there, interviewed his followers and so on. So it was a, you know, from literally going back to my roots and, you know, collecting data, collecting information and to understand this tradition, which is so ancient, but how these major saints influenced this ancient tradition for the modern times in the last two centuries, how they came up with a new Jain flag, which is accepted by both Fiatamars and Dighamars, how they influenced many Indian prime ministers, most notably in 2008, where Jainism was finally declared as a minority religion in its own right. That all happened because of the activism, because of the outreach by Jain Saints, both ascetics and householders, with the prime ministers and other political leaders in Delhi. So Jainism was finally declared as a separate religion. So far it was clubbed with Hinduism. Many of the inheritance laws and marriage laws are still uh, with the Hindu court bill. Hindu uh, marriage uh, practices, Hindu inheritance practices are still applied to Jains. But as a as a religion, it was not ex, uh, not declared as an officially minority religion. But now it is. So all these things were, were happening with the efforts of many of these Jain saints gene and so on. You
0: know, one of the one of the really fat. I mean, the, the, I mean, there's so much there. I had I had the good mention, okay. uh, a thousand years ago. I don't know, maybe in 2008 I went mm-hmm. uh, to India on a research trip with the, uh, the International Summer School of Jain Studies.
1: All oh, right, DNA yes. sharing.
0: Yeah, yes, it was, uh, it was, it was, a wonderful opportunity right. how uh, my, I was doing my masters at the time and I was very much interested in the ethics of violence and who better should learn about the ethics of violence and in the context, but from the James, <laughs> um, my project was on the Ramayana, so I was actually looking at the, okay. the, the Jane Ramayana, but enough yeah, e- about that, that nerdy footnote. Let's get back to the main text of which is your, <laughs> your topic. Now, now one of the things I find so fascinating about these figures you know, Yes. the book, uh, for those of you listening, I mean, the, the, the link to the podcast, the link to the book is on the podcast, so it's, of course, and I have to say, it's great that it's sort of a one-stop shop in that the first part of the book fleshes out uh, Jaina thought, you know, Jain cosmology, the elements, you know, yeah. uh, yes. the notions of destiny. So if you don't understand about the philosophy or the worldview of Jainism, it's there. And, and uh, worldview is probably the best word because it is classically a, a darshan, a one of the ways of seeing of ancient mm-hmm. India. Uh, yes. And, and, and beyond the, 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 section on philosophy, then there are these, um, uh, uh eight uh, uh, intriguing, gripping sort of case studies, for Gambara yep. saints, and then four Shwetambara saints. We could talk yep. a little bit about the specific saints in a moment, but one of the things I find so fascinating as sort of a student of religion and a student of life is that these figures embraced innovation, and I think it is, it is really the short-sighted, um, it is the short-sighted leaders and practitioners who see innovation as a threat to tradition, but really, no, yeah. it's the innovation that is the lifeblood of tradition. Tradition will, would not survive were it not for yeah. innovative sing- figures who come a- century yeah. after century to say, "Hey, let's tweak it," because we have to meet the time. We have to tweak it in order for it to adapt and evolve. Um, yeah. And we can see this in, in 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 every major religion. From from you know, obviously, yeah. Roman Catholic Roman Catholicism is undergoing a great deal of we can see mm-hmm. innovation, etc., etc., etc. So I find it fascinating that the authority lies with these figures,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as the the figures themselves are the religious authorities because they're embodying the values. So they could say, "Hey, I I am going to belong to the to 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 to, to the to the sky clad you know non cloth clothing wearing uh, clan, but I'm going to wear clothes." <laughs> <laughs> So they can, so I, I can yeah if i find it fascinating and there doesn't seem to be a great deal uh, there seems to be um there seems to be an acceptance and a reverence yeah. for the perspective of these figures would you say
1: yes. yes i think that's a very interesting feature i think of indian traditions in general right innovation is not a threat for the most part right innovation is reinterpretation has been a constant practice across, I think for the last thousand or even more years across Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, even Sikhism, I think if I can uh, include Sikhism also. So in Jainism also, so some of these figures that I include, so I create two groups, right? So the Digambars, I take four major figures in the Digambar sect, that is the sky clad sect, right? And the Shwetambar sect also, I take four figures, that is the white clad sect, right? So uh, first that I've taken is Acharya Shanti Sagar. Acharya Shanti Sagar was born within last 200 years. What he said is so interesting. You know this, we keep referring to nakedness, complete nakedness practiced by Digumar months. there are no Digumar nuns because complete nakedness is not practical for, for females. But for months, even for months, the complete nakedness or complete nudity had, had stopped during the British Raj and probably pre-British Raj, that is the, during the Mughal uh, era and so on, because of obvious reason. So. He had to revive that practice of nudity in a really strange way. What he did was just to emphasize that the real practice of Digambar Jain monk is to be completely naked. So he would go around uh, you know major places in Delhi for example. And he will go to major political centers in Delhi and he would ask his followers to take his pictures. With complete naked, right his complete naked picture he would ask his followers to take pictures and post it so that people are reminded that this is the most ultimate, most true practice of Jainism is to renounce the ultimate attachment even to your own clothing. Of course you renounce attachment to food and of course to possessions, wealth and whatnot. but even to your own clothes. That for him it was his duty, his dharma was to remind his fellow Jains that let's not forget the ideal what was practiced by Mahavir 2500 years ago we have to revive that so he revived it single-handedly by going around places even you know places where Nizam was ruling in you know let's say Hyderabad in South India when Nizam was ruling. a so Muslim emperor but he would go in a procession with no cloth at all and and he would seek permission that I, he can buy. so that's a great you know most like you said not exactly innovating but sort of reviving the original practice of nonir and reminding his own followers that this is the way to do Genesis, to practice Genesis. and 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 yet of course his response
0: was the undoing of an innovation which was like you know let's be practical the, yeah. whether it's right whether it's wrong whether it's oppression whether who knows uh, clearly we have uh we have foreign powers ruling us yes. Yes. very yes. different sensibility yes. they to this day yes. Indic thought and cultures imbued with a British, almost puritanical sensibility towards yes. sexuality in the body would yes. stay. Yes. 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 And so it's fascinating that they would say, "Okay, let's uh, put our clothes on for now." But even more fascinating, they'll say, "Okay,
1: time, time to be free." <laughs> that's it. That's it. So he just, and he succeeded. That's just amazing. How he succeeded? This was the British Raj. British were still ruling, of course, with local nawabs and so on, local sultans and so on. But he succeeded. And he revived the idea of nakedness, especially in the Digambar sect. And after that, you know, many, many monks, even to this day, they continue to practice this complete renunciation of clothing. So that was first figure that I take, Acharya Shanti Sagar. born in Belgam, district of Karnataka Maharashtra border. I mean, I don't want to give too localized uh, information, but yeah, so that's, so we've born in South India, but travels across India, and Dicumbar tradition, single handedly is revived by this Acharya Shanti Sagar, a pioneer. All right, then I take that Kanji mm. Swami, I already mm. hinted upon his rebellious nature, born in Shetamber, converts to Dicumbar, but does not practice nakedness, and then challenges every practice of, you know, blind following others change, and he becomes a controversial figure. Actually, in fact, Paul Denda, the major Gen scholar in UK, he calls Kanji Swami movement as the most Uh, noticeable movement within Jainism, you for them that's but But he he didn't give the full biography of Kanji Swami, so I filled that void. And so Kanji Swami is the second major figure that I include in my section of the Kambaras. Third major figure I take is Acharya Vidyanan. Acharya Vidyanan also I hinted a little bit. He was the influential figure that worked with politicians in Delhi to help declare Jainism as a minority religion Mm -hmm. and he comes up with the Jain flag and, and so on. So, politically active uh, Jain Saint also in in Delhi. Then I take a female nun in the Digamvar sect. mata Agyanmat, she is actually still with us, she 80 plus now. She is mostly in Delhi area. She single-handedly creates a new pilgrimage center in Hastinapur. Hastinapur the city famous for Mahabharat, Panawas and Kaurwath in UP. But she comes up with this idea that Hastinapur also was a major Jain center in, in ancient times. So she creates a new uh, pilgrimage center. Then I come to. Yes Shri with... one which is just yes. one quick pause. I mean, the, the pacing yes. is great because we'll only touch on
0: each one because people will obviously be the book if they're interested. Yes, yes. yes. but yes. but I but I can't help but dive into this one a little bit more sure. because, of course, in addition to how, how how, in addition to the gravitas and the charisma and the the just mm-hmm. foresight that these figures show, this particular figure is born in a female body in an obviously yes. male governed society so tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how she claws out of the patriarchy to lead men and women to to to, 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 to not just be a, a a religious spiritual leader but to say let's make Hastinapur a Jain center like ha- tell us a little bit about
1: that journey oh definitely she, she does difficult uh, she does you know follow the tradition of acharya shanti sagar the, the pra- pioneer make it become a sh- shaint that i was hinting at him. So she does take initiation in that tradition but in addition to following the practices and teachings of Acharya Shanti Sagar and Mahavir and so on, she first of all she becomes a great scholar in her own right. She writes books upon books, she starts giving discourses on jain philosophy. So she gathers enough momentum, enough, influential, enough influence around him to emerge around her to emerge as a major figure in her own right. Once the charisma, once the influence spreads across the Digambar community in North India, in UP and Delhi, for uh, especially in Haryana, uh, mostly North Indian uh, states and cities, then I think in just then it once the you know ball starts rolling, people just give her all the respect, or and then people just start following what she what she asks from the people. So charisma takes some time, but once it starts, I think it's just a, you know automatic process, and then. The idea of gender you know suddenly disappears you know all his more male followers take the female nun's words as their ultimate command and then they just follow and then they play it, millions of rupees and they create these centers
0: and it really is fascinating when we have these these forces of history and even in the present that they're known for what they do. I mean, yeah, I could pick, I could pick a, a number of like pop culture examples where there's a star who's a star. and We don't think of them as a gender or a color or right. any of yeah. this. It's their talent which shines through. And of it's course, they I mean, of the course had a they had a uh, they had a, an incredible uphill climb to get out, to get there. Yeah, yeah. And said, but it just sure. it just goes to show, oh, you know, what incredible human talent is lying yeah. in the margins or has yeah. has has been laid to waste by history and it's, it's, it fascinates yeah. me actually yeah, okay. the, this is the fourth and final one of the Digambara chapter for those listening. Yeah. and now we're going to look at the four saints of the other sect yes the Shvetambara, or the oh, sect.
1: Uh, sky clad s- sect that is the white sorry the, white, the, 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 the white so they are covering themselves with white robes yes. white garments right so what I take is Acharya Hastimam not completely missing in the you know Western lit- Western academic literature. Acharya Aslan was born in the desert area of Rajasthan, not too far from where I was born. Also, he he is amazing. One of the youngest Acharyas, not just in Jainism but I think across the world. In his early twenties, he becomes a major Acharya. Acharya is one who can give initiation to another householder in Jainism. So that he becomes that. Initiation giving authority at a really young age, and he becomes a great scholar in his own right. He writes first ever proper systematized history of the entire Jain tradition. The entire history, the entire itihas of Jain tradition, all the biographies of all the Jankaras, all the major figures, all the kings, ch- Chakravartis, all the influential figures, in last 3000 years of history of Jain, and even more even earlier. So he becomes a, you know, emerges as a great scholar in, of course, he writes in Hindi and speaks Rajasthani language. And so that, so because of his scholarly contribution, I I chose him as my first figure in the Shri sect because he's completely unknown also in the Western literature. Second, next I take is Punevichai, another really interesting figure. I went to Ahmedabad at the center where he spent a lot of his time. What he did is also interesting. He collected, he systematized the actual manuscripts written in Prakrit. Sanskrit and Pali, and collected all those manuscripts. He went around several traditional libraries uh, that were funded, that were uh, managed by Jain householders in Rajasthan and in Gujarat. Both, okay, you have to remember that as they are doing all these research, all these scholarly Jain saints, as they are doing, as they are doing their research, they are not using any electronic equipment. There were no electronic equipment back then. They are not traveling in any car or aircraft or anything, not even a bicycle. They're walking. They're walking thousands, hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles to collect all these manuscripts. To write the history of Jainism, you have to collect all these manuscripts first. How do you collect? You walk to library to library, village to village, town to town, temple to temple, across India. So that's what he's doing. Acharya estimated did to write the Jain history. The second one, I am uh, was mentioning Muni Puni Vijay. Muni Puni Vijay, actually, sh- Organize the libraries without any degree in library sciences. He actually opened each, you know, traditional library would open each Elmira of, you know, dust or maybe earth mites and uh, dust. You know, they are all ro- getting rotten, all these manuscripts. He would open each manuscript, make a list, collect all, clean up all those manuscripts, organize those properly, and even create critical edition of several important texts. He's highly regarded by even by Western scholars, Muni which if you mentioned to any child scholar, General uh, research, Jain author, they, they they know his name at least. But his, well, his biography was still unknown. So I wrote his biography, historical biography of Muni Purnivija and his contributions. Then the third I take is Acharya Rajendra Suri, another interesting figure born in Rajasthan, but passed away in Mohan Khedai, near Indore in Madhya Pradesh. What he did was he created the first encyclopedia of Jainism. You know, long before our Wikipedia or uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, which is now available online. He created this Jaina en- encyclopedia, uh, Rajendra Brahat post uh, is the name of that. What he did was he created entries of each word such as Jiva or Atma, Brahman, Satya, Nirvana, Nirvana Moksha, all these technical terms in Hinduism, Buddhism, and in Jainism and, and collected every little information around that one term. right? Jina or Jain or Atma, all the references with all the Indian literature he collected. And added in this encyclopedia. Rather than say the thousands and thousands of pages, this encyclopedia that he created, handwritten encyclopedia. Then later on, of course, it's printed now, it's available as a printed book. But when he was writing, again writing with his hand, with of course with his team of assistants, hopefully. But again, going around, walking around all these places, libraries, temples, collecting all this information and creating this massive, massive text in uh in uh, and then passed away in, in Madhu. And lastly I take Achary Sagarana, Sagaranan Suri, also a great scholarly saint, also did the similar the similar work of collecting, systematizing all these manuscripts and books. So these are my Svetambar four Svetambar uh, monks or, or saints that I chose in Svetambar tradition. So that I think collects uh summarizes my books uh, chapters. to see it. we seem to see it. Uh,
0: among a number of these figures, an overlap between um, scholarly enterprise and spiritual enterprise?
1: Yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. We think about it, me also that, you know, they didn't renounce, they didn't say that, oh, all this is Maya or all this is worldly activity. They embraced scholarly work even as they were doing spiritual pursuits. Because I think they realized that to, to make sure that Jainism survived for the next generation, we will need knowledge. This is an era of knowledge. Probably they in that in their foresight, they realized that knowledge has to be preserved. And knowledge was not, even though Jains are the pioneers in in creating libraries across India and preserving all these books. But all those books are in bracket language or Sanskrit or Pali language, and you know, not properly organized, not properly clean, real, very disorganized libraries. How to modernize those libraries? So some of these saints took that upon themselves to. Modernize the libraries, organize them properly, create proper catalogs, translate, even translate them properly in some cases, create the encyclopedia, like I said, create a history of genism. So it was amazing work that was that I thought should be brought to notice for the Western world also. So that's why I took these chapters in It bespeaks a regard for knowledge production, insofar as you know,
0: these figures are aesthetic figures. They're assuring the yeah. world, they're not taking on partnership, certainly not children, certainly not. Certainly not money. In many cases, not even clothing. Right. They wouldn't no. even ride a bicycle, but mm-hmm. yet, it, it. If you sort of do the math, you could infer that they regard the production of knowledge, even yes. secular knowledge, yes. as uh, a divine or pseudo divine enterprise. So this yes. is part of that, that. That knowledge and its pursuit is not quite a mundane thing. It seems that yeah. we get.
1: Took, yeah, they, that that they, that became their mission. For most, many of these figures, they they spoke on these, they, they like I said, they were writing these books, they were collecting these books, they were also preaching about these books, about the knowledge of on, in these books, in these books, and their followers keep doing the same thing. Also, many of these figures are still, uh, their followers are also active in creating new knowledge, preaching their knowledge. Many of them have now YouTube channels. They're very active in using even electronic mediums. Not all; some are still uh, avoiding electronic media. But uh, some of them have uh, even embraced uh, YouTube and so on in disseminating this knowledge. Yeah.
0: What are some of, I mean, obviously, there's a lot there, but what are some patterns, trends, commonalities? When you when you look at these eight figures or even four and four, right. what are some of the trends you see in, 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 their, in their enterprise?
1: Uh, I think these are the trends uh, that, uh, you know, how to ensure the sustainability, the of Jain traditions, Jain communities, right? With with their particular emphasis on Digambar or Shwetambar, but how to make sure that it is understood by the contemporary society or even the future societies, right? So they simplified the knowledge stored in Prakrit language, which, you know, very re- rarely people use that language, even less than Sanskrit, but they, yeah, they, they sort of decodified uh, the, the knowledge, they preached this knowledge. They wrote about this knowledge, and uh, I think that's what is the common thread running across uh, all these eight figures.
0: So the is, is, it, is it fair to say
1: that not just the
0: propagation of the ideas and and sort of the the the, the inspiration towards liberation, but but really, indeed, the survival of the tradition was very much yes. a driving force.
1: Yes, yes, because the times are changing so rapidly; they are still changing so rapidly, right? With the under the British Raj, uh, most of these figures were active in the, under the British Raj. So I think they were uh, under this some kind of a special foreign threat, so to speak. So they were, I think, that probably uh, inspired them to do extra work—not just you know sit in their meditation or just to just do fasting and and do chanting or you know meditation, but to do this active academic work also. And and you know, so that's what I think uh, with this modernity, you know, facing them, you know, you know, heads, you know, heading their way so strongly. They had to embrace these new modern tools, modern ways of creating literature, and to even try to translate them in modern Indian languages in especially in Hindi. So that is what they were uh doing, all many of these figures. Yes.
0: It's 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 great that we have we now have access to these biographies and these figures, uh this English medium now. Okay. Could you could you say a word about um modern Jainism, if you will, sort of uh, even in an armchair or anecdotal sense, uh I mean, or in a scholarly sense however you prefer what is what can you what can you say about the state of Jainism present
1: yeah um, many things can be said uh, which I touch upon in my concluding thoughts and uh, in the book also and also in my prologue which is that um, especially with uh, as as this word diaspora you, you're part of diaspora I'm part of diaspora and as the Jain diaspora spreads across the world especially in North America it just really, you know, being in America uh, gives a special impetus to modern modernity within Jainism. How? In two, three major ways. First is the idea of creating new academic chairs across North America. You know, in many universities across U.S. and in Canada, and now in Europe also. You know, gen communities are at the forefront of donating. I think. Total donation now probably runs into billions and how they are creating these new chairs across universities. That's some special impact is being, being part of the diaspora. That's one. Second, the digitization of Jain manuscripts, Jain texts, Jain sacred texts, uh scriptures and so on. Every little text, every major little text of Jainism scriptures are now completely digitized. Available in PDF, completely available, completely free. Jainelibrary.org. Which was never done, you know. Even those two sects in India have really a hard time even today in India coming together as a as a one religion. They're you know quite divided actually. There's a strong dichotomy between the Digambara and Shitambara in India. But in America, they all came together and created these chairs in across Euro American universities. Created these these websites where all these forms of knowledge are now digitized for the twenty first century people, scholar, including scholars like you and me, who can. Who, some of whom cannot read, maybe Hindi, Sanskrit, or Prakrit. They can now read uh, English translation of these texts. These that are also available on these on these websites, right? So digitization of knowledge, the part of modernity. Then, um, like I said, coming together of Jains also happened only in, in only in the U.S. There is a new organization which was created, uh, not new anymore. It was created about 43, 50 years back. Called Jaina, J-A-I-N-A dot org, Jain Associations in North America. Where Digambers and Shaitamars and subsects of Shaitambers they all came together. They meet every two years in a major bi- biannual convention for many purposes: social purposes, and uh, spiritual purposes, intellectual purposes, even economic purposes probably. So they all come together, as a, which never happened in India, but as part of a diasporic modernity, it inspired unity in America, which is now funneling back into India. Even in India, there are now efforts to bring all Jain sects under one umbrella, which has not yet succeeded. But what succeeded in, in India as a modernity uh, impetus is like I hinted in the beginning, Jainism as a new minority religion. That happened also as a part of, I think, modernity um, emphasis, modernized, modernizing enterprise within Jainism to declare Jainism as a new mi- minority religion. So that Jains have also now, uh, uh, so they can also run their autonomous institutions, such as Wyon university. In fact, Flaming University is a Jain minority private university, which is possible now because Jainism has been declared as a separate minority religion. So all these features, I think, uh, are part of this modern Jainism, which never happened in 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 you know 200 years back. We couldn't think of all these things, but now these are happening.
0: Yeah, I think it's so, it's quite it's quite interesting what you point to regarding. <laughs> Diasporic experiences, insofar as you know, there's a, a principle in the back of my brain that I think of as you know, a d- definition by contrast, which is how the mind works, but also identification via contrast. Mm-hmm. And so we have these tensions everywhere, uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, n- North Italy versus South Italy, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You know, North India versus South India, the the, yeah. the, the, the Shwetambara versus the know yeah. yeah. east side, west side. This is natural. And yet it's, when you, when you venture out into the broader globe or the, yeah. the broader, uh, you know, the broader um, the stage of the human condition, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> we have much more in common than we think. <laughs> Maybe yeah, one day we'll all realize that we're all human beings. Maybe it'll take the yeah, presence I of another another species uh, to, to do that. But anyhow, um, yeah. the, the other the other thing I wanted to touch on is uh, we have we recently had um, Christopher Miller on the podcast to talk about the Arihanta Institute and some mm-hmm. of the, We touched on the founding of various uh, Jane Studies chairs across uh, the academy. Yeah, yeah. It, it was intriguing that there was there was such force behind this this initiative yes. and yet yet it yet uh it seems to be the case that uh the community is, is founding these positions um uh, while maintaining academic freedom that, that the scholars are free to do scholarly yeah. with yeah. and uh, without any very much yeah, yeah well, they're not they're they don't need to operate from within a particular religious or spiritual right. theological paradigm which is yeah. which is fascinating actually um and also, I have to say, I mean, I, I had offered my condolences at the outset before we started recording, but it, you, know, um, you know, given that your father was very much an inspiration to this work, yeah. and it's very fulfilling for you to have to have seen this to fruition. Uh, you yeah. know, well, he left right. the earth, so. so congratulations on that. And my condolences Thank once you. again. Yeah. Uh, tell us, lastly, um, yeah. what, if anything, are you working on now or next?
1: Yes, <clears throat> I'm going back to. Jainism, I guess, I continue. what I found another, uh, when I noticed that if we uh, look for biographies of the major, most influential figure in Jainism is Mahavir. Yet there is no proper historical biography of Mahavir available in English, which was all oh, again surprising. There are several biographies of the Buddha or Jesus Christ or Muhammad and so on. But when we think of Mahavir, there's again, there's no biography. So I'm working on writing proper academic. But in English, well, on that is what I'm working on right now. I'm almost done and uh, hope to be,
0: books should be out soon. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, whenever it's out or near out, I know a guy who hosts uh little the... religions. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll send a email address. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I think that's the one. I believe. He's a very strange creature. I'm not sure what he's doing with his life, but he does his podcast as well. So um, <laughs> you can reach out and have that book covered as well. Uh, thank, thank you very much uh, for appearing on the podcast.
1: <laughs> thank you for appearing tonight. Thank you, Ras. Thank you for what you're doing for all of us. Thank you. And all the best for your work also. Yeah, I know you're doing so, so many interesting things as well. <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
0: laughs> um, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. For those listening, we have been speaking with Dr. Pankaj Jain of the Flame University on a really interesting uh, new publication called Modern Jainism A Historical Approach. Um, the links, of course, are in the podcast notes until next time. Um, uh, keep listening, uh, keep reading, keep thinking, keep contemplating and, you know, perhaps pay attention to the extent to which innovation is actually what perpetuates tradition, not what threatens it. Take care.